Good evening. Glad that you can join us as we kick off our faithful conference. So glad to see so many of you who are able to come out in the midst of uh, a busy, eventful week and even eventful evening with lots of things going on. Glad that you can join us. We know that there's people who are watching by live stream. Glad that you can be with us as well. Just a reminder, Ligon will be preaching at our worship services tomorrow. So for our Christ Covenant folks, hopefully you have been able to sign up. I haven't checked. Imagine the 1045 is full and there's probably space still at the 9 o'clock. And then Ligon will be preaching again at 6 p.m. And so glad to have Dr. Ligon Duncan with us this evening. He is well known to many of us in this congregation. He's preached here on a number of times and is a friend to many of us, including myself. Lig serves as the Chancellor and CEO of Reformed Theological Seminary. He's also a professor of systematic and historical theology there. He's been affiliated, associated with RTS for over 30 years. Of course, for most of that, his uh, main job was the senior minister at the historic First Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. And how many years has it been? Six or seven? Seven years since he made that gut-wrenching decision, I know, to be full-time as chancellor and CEO of RTS and as one who, one of many, many people who gets to say that Ligon is their boss. Uh, I'm very glad that he is at RTS. We don't believe in popes, but if we had one for Presbyterianism, he might be a first balloter. So we're grateful for all that you do. Many books, many uh, engagements that he speaks at, committees and boards and councils. I also serve on the, the Gospel Coalition. There's about eight or nine of us on that board, and Ligon is on the board with me there. So it's a delight to have him here with us for this weekend and to be giving this opening address. Tomorrow will be sermons, expositional sermons, as you're used to tonight. I've asked him to give a bit more of an overview and a talk on this broad theme of is the Reformed faith still relevant? And so will you please join me in welcoming Ligon to the pulpit here at Christ's Covenant. Thank you, Kevin. Great to be with you all tonight. Thank you for coming out. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians. I was asking Kevin if he had, had a, if he had a verse in mind when he chose faithful as the, as the name of the conference. What a great name for a conference, the faithful conference. And because 1 Corinthians 4.2 is a verse about faithfulness. And uh, it's where I want to start tonight. I'd like you to keep your Bibles open because we're going to go to three passages together tonight as I try and answer the question that Kevin posed. Really, a couple of months ago, Kevin said, well, what should we do as a theme for the conference? And uh, he said, what about is the Reformed faith uh, still relevant? I think he had a, a cooler name for it, like is Reformed still relevant or something. So I want to answer that question for you tonight. So tomorrow I'll preach. Um, and tonight I'll probably get into preaching, but I'm really, I'm doing a message trying to answer that question and answering it out of three specific passages uh, in the Bible. And I want to answer that question, is the Reformed faith still relevant, with a resounding yes. Uh, the Reformed faith, the commitments that we share to Scripture, uh, to Reformed theology, and to the Great Commission are more relevant than ever. Uh, those things really brought 
the Presbyterian Church in America into being in the early 1970s, the denomination of which this congregation is a very important part. And we've, we've gone through a lot in that time frame. Really, in the 1960s in the United States, we saw a lot of cultural headwinds, not only a, uh, for traditional thinking about a variety of things, but a lot of opposition to classical Christianity. And then in the 1970s and 80s, we went through a period where pragmatism seemed to be the main unifying theme in many of the evangelical uh, churches. Uh, the, the idea was whatever works uh, is, is what you do. That's how you build the church. But quietly, since the 1960s, there has been a growth in the Reformed faith in multiple denominational settings, not just in North America, but around the world. And even though in the last 10 years, and maybe especially in the last eight years, I've sensed a lot of resistance to that growth of Reformed Christianity, it's still going on, it's still happening. I see it everywhere I go because of my job. I get to be on every inhabited continent about once every 18 months, and I meet this Reformed awakening uh, as it exists in various places around the world from Indonesia to South America to uh, South Africa to uh, the Middle East. Uh, Everywhere I go, I see it. Um, Young people and churches embracing a robust view of the Scriptures, a high view of God, um, hearing Reformed theology and resonating with it, and then a, a tremendous commitment to the sharing of the gospel and the taking of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And that's something that was at the very heart of the PCA movement. Uh, some of you may know that there is an informal motto that the PCA adopted uh, probably before the PCA came into being. It's been found, Wayne Sparkman, who's at the PCA Historical Center, found versions of this motto existing from the 1960s to the early 1970s before the PCA actually came into being. And and, uh, he traces it back to a ruling elder named Ken Kyes. It's possible that there may be some people here in this room tonight who actually knew Ken Kyes. I had the privilege of meeting him on a number of occasions because my father was a ruling elder uh, involved in the starting of the PCA. But Ken Kyes' informal motto included uh, faithful to the scriptures and true to the Westminster standards. That was an informal motto that was used. And then Don Patterson, who pastored the congregation that I served a number of years ago, First Presbyterian Church in Jackson. He was the pastor of First Pres Jackson uh, when uh, First Pres came into the PCA in the 1970s. Don Patterson added to that informal motto and obedient to the Great Commission. And so it became faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. And they, they use that to kind of explain to people who ask them, why are you starting the PCA? Well, because we want a denomination that's faithful to the Scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, and obedient to the Great Commission. And uh, you say a lot when you say all three of those things. And I believe that those things are just as important today in 2020 as they were in 1973. And they're just as relevant in 2020 
as they were in 1973. And that's what I want to spend some time talking with you about tonight. But I want to start with a, with a verse about faithfulness. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 2 with me, and we'll pray before we read God's Word. Heavenly Father, thanks for this privilege to be together. We ask that you would build us up in the truth of your Word, that you would make us to be faithful stewards in our own time, that you would give us encouragement even when the culture seems to be turning away from your truth or your word, uh, when the uh, church seems to be buffeted by, by various trials and difficulties, we know that you are still building your kingdom. And we get the privilege of being ambassadors and stewards of uh, your truth and of your Son. And so we pray that you would find us faithful and bless us as we consider that faithfulness tonight and how you might use it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 2. Paul says, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Or it could be translated that they be found faithful. A very good Verse to go to at a conference when you're thinking about being faithful. And as we think about the relevance of Reformed theology today, I want to think with you along the lines of those three parts of that informal motto of the PCA, faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, obedient to the Great Commission. Um, I think those things today... uh, provide the core of what could be very, very healthy congregational and denominational life and witness. And I want us to think about those three things under these three rubrics, the Word of God, the glory of God, and the mission of God. The Word of God, the glory of God, and the mission of God. So we want to be faithful to the Scriptures. Now turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, because there the Apostle Paul in his final letter to Timothy says in 2 Timothy 3.16, and many of you could say this verse from heart, he says, all scripture is breathed out by God, or all scripture is God-breathed. In, in the Greek, that's three words, um, all Scripture, God-breathed. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. If we are going to be relevant, if we are going to be useful, if we are going to be faithful, we will have to be true to the Scriptures. Uh, We will have to be committed to the Word of God, believing what the Word of God teaches, obeying what the Word of God commands. Uh, A very interesting thing happened beginning at about the turn of the 19th century. Many Western Protestant Christians came under the influence of what later became called theological liberalism. Uh, there, There was a a very famous uh, scholar in Germany named Friedrich Schleiermacher who gave a series of addresses uh, to 
the cultured despisers of Christianity in which he tried to make a case for Christianity to those who had uh, felt that they had grown beyond it intellectually. Uh, what Schleiermacher essentially argued is that for Christianity to survive, its message had to change. And uh, for a century and a half, that kind of thinking was dominantly influential in many parts of the Protestant world in Europe and in America. And every church that adopted that outlook, the outlook that the message of Christianity has to change if Christianity is going to survive, every denomination, every church where that approach was adopted has died or is in the process of dying. Because if you're not faithful to the Word of God, not only are you not going to be relevant, you're not going to exist. Uh, Because the Lord builds his church by the Word. And the Lord builds Christians according to the Word. And Paul says that here. Isn't it interesting? He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. And I really think that Paul has in his mind something that Jesus said in Matthew 4.4 when he says all Scripture is God-breathed. In Matthew 4.4, go ahead and turn with me there, when Jesus is responding to one of the temptations of Satan, you remember what Jesus says? Jesus actually quotes Moses and he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now listen to that. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All scripture God breathed. I think Paul has Jesus in mind when he says what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 3.16. He's just, he's saying My view of Scripture isn't something I came up with. I learned this from Jesus. And Jesus says that we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. All Scripture is breathed out of God's mouth, Paul says in 2 Timothy 3.16. And I think he's just copying what Jesus said in response to Satan in Matthew 4.4. Now, of course, Jesus is quoting Moses. That's something that Moses said in Deuteronomy. So, what I'm saying is, the truth that our faith is based on the Word of God is something that is taught in both the Old Testament and the New, by Moses, by Jesus, by Paul. And any church that is going to be faithful must be faithful to the Scriptures. Any church that is going to be of any use at all must be founded on the Word of God. And one of the great things about the Reformed faith and the way that the Lord has used the Reformed faith in the last 50 years is for standing up for the Word of God. I really think one of the reasons that Reformed theology started to spread into multiple denominational uh, frameworks where it hadn't necessarily thrived before, like, for instance, the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, Probably 15 years ago, one man estimated that as many as 30% of Southern Baptist ministers had become 
reformed in terms of their uh, views of the doctrines of grace. And that certainly wouldn't have been true when I was a young man in Greenville, South Carolina in the 1970s. My, my Baptist friends, they wouldn't have known to call themselves Arminian, but that's essentially the, the, the basic theological outlook that they would have had. And, uh, and, and they would have viewed Calvinism with great suspicion but fast forward 20 years later and you find all of this Reformed theology in the Southern Baptist world. Why? Well, there are a lot of reasons for that. One is the influence of people like Carl Henry, uh, who had a high view of Scripture and a lot of influence in the, the Baptist world. But an, another reason is that during the 1970s, when the battle for the Bible was going on, the Lord raised up a number of very significant Reformed voices that evangelicals began to trust. People like James Montgomery Boyce, um, Francis Schaeffer, R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer. Uh, and what happened is evangelicals appreciated that these men stood for the authority, inerrancy, infallibility of Scripture... And they didn't even realize that they were reformed in, in their theology. And so they came to trust them because they were Bible men. They believed the scriptures. And, and because of that, they started reading other parts of their theology. And, and so I've, I've lost count as to how many people I've met around the world that were introduced to the reformed faith through people like that. Uh, not because they were coming from reformed backgrounds, but because they knew, okay, these men believe in the Bible. And if they believe in the Bible, they're worth listening to. I'm, I'm not going to be scared of them. I, the, these people stand on the authority of Scripture, so I'll listen to what they teach. And, and suddenly that theology starts uh, uh, working its way into other denominational settings. And so, really, the Lord used a lot of Reformed figures during the time of the battle for the Bible to... Um, give the evangelical church confidence in, again in the authority of Scripture when it was being attacked and undermined, sometimes from its own institutions, colleges and, uh, and seminaries. Back, um, back in the 1960s and 70s, you didn't have as many healthy Bible-believing colleges and seminaries as there are today. Uh, one of the reasons that RTS was started, Reformed Theological Seminary was started, incorporated in 1964, had our first students in 1966, was because in the early 1960s, an article was published in the Presbyterian Outlook on the subject of Scripture. And the, head, the, the headline of the whole, that was the denominational magazine of the Southern Presbyterian Church, and the magazine's title was, Does the Church Need an Infallible Bible? And there were four professors from the four major Presbyterian seminaries that had written articles in response to the question, all of whom said, no, the church does not need an infallible Bible, and it doesn't have one. And a country preacher named Sam Patterson in French Camp, Mississippi, absolutely could not believe what he was reading. Uh, that his denominational seminaries had professors that didn't believe that the Bible was the Word of God. And at that point, he wrote to every president, very polite letters saying, I'm sure that the views of these men 
uh, from your institution don't represent your views or the views of your institution. And he got that very condescending letters from all the presidents of the Presbyterian seminaries saying, you, you're, just, you're not intelligent enough to understand these things, uh, but we're too sophisticated to believe in an inerrant and infallible uh, Bible in, in, in the 1960s. We know better now. And that's when Sam Patterson said, we need a seminary that believes that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word of God. And really, the people that started RTS did so hoping to save the old Southern Presbyterian Church from that kind of theological liberalism. They failed miserably. But what what they didn't realize is the Lord had other plans. And so what what happened was the PCA came into being, the ARP was strengthened, uh, many other denominations were blessed by students that were coming out of RTS. The, the, the commitment to the truth of Scripture was a major part of uh, the growth of institutions like Reformed Theological Seminary starting quietly in the 1960s under everybody's radar screens. Nobody realized what was going on. But gradually over the last 50 years, the influence of those institutions and the pastors that they were creating going out believing in the authoritative scriptures has had a huge positive effect here and around the world. And if we will continue to be faithful to the inspired and errant word of God, the Lord will continue to use that. Where the Lord's word is honored, the Lord will use his word. And so if the Reformed faith has been used that way in the past, and it has, especially in these last 50 years, we, we need that today uh, because in our day and time, there are new challenges uh, to the authority of Scripture. I was talking to a campus minister uh, probably a year ago in uh, Houston, Texas, who was at that time working on the campus of Rice University, very good university, lots of uh, excellent students at that school. And he said, almost none of my students believe that the Bible is fully inspired in all that it teaches. Now, these are students that are coming to an evangelical Bible-believing campus fellowship. And he said, if you, if you ask these students, do you believe what the Bible teaches about grace, they will say yes. But if you ask these students, do you believe what the Bible teaches about gender, marriage, and sexuality, they'll say the, the Bible is culturally bound in those areas. Uh, so they basically have a partial inspiration view. That's, that's very common in this culture. And so if there is not a strong witness uh, staking uh, the claims of the Word of God amongst that next generation, if there aren't voices like the voice of Mike Kruger, your uh, theologian in residence here, who's just produced a series speaking to people's doubts about the Scripture there's not a strong voice answering those questions and making a case for the Bible, it will be to the great detriment of the people of our generation. That's why it's so important to have a faithful pulpit like this pulpit, a congregation that's committed to the authority of Scripture. You couldn't be more relevant than to be committed to the authority of God's Word. 
and Reformed theology is all about that. The PCA is all about that. Christ Covenant Presbyterian Church is all about that. RTS is all about that. So is reform still relevant? You better believe it more than ever before. And it starts with the authority of Scripture. Okay, here's the second area. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Reformed Christians understand that everything in this world exists for the glory of God. You know, we could, we could summarize Reformed theology in a variety of ways. Um, Don't you love B.B. Warfield's description of Reformed theology? He said, I can can describe Reformed theology in three words. Reformed theology believes that God saves sinners. God saves them. They don't save themselves. God does the saving. God saves them. He doesn't make them savable. He doesn't enable them to save themselves. He saves them. And God saves sinners, people who are dead in trespasses and sin, people who are under the just condemnation of God, people who have no excuse for their sin before God. God saves sinners. Warfield described Reformed theology in those three words. That's a great definition. Um, Sometimes I say Reformed theology is a school of historic Orthodox Christianity uh, in which the sovereignty of God Uh, the doctrines of grace, uh, a high view of the church, and covenant theology are all embraced. There are lots of different ways we could describe Reformed theology, but what what Reformed theology does at its heart is it says that God is the most important thing. God is the most important thing. There's nothing more important than God. And that everything in the world and our theology needs to be believed in light of who God is. So God is sovereign, and that means he's sovereign in salvation, and he's sovereign in the church, and he's sovereign in our life, and he's sovereign in the world. And his glory is the most important thing in this world. And Paul gets at that, doesn't he? in Ephesians chapter 1. So look with me. We're just going to look at one little section of this long prayer of praise that Paul prays from verses 3 to 14. We'll just look at the section from 3 to 6. Okay, so this is just the first part of Paul's prayer. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Listen to this phrase. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And that phrase is used three times in this little prayer, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. And Hughes Old says that what that lets you know is that early Christians realized that God had created the world and redeemed them at the price of his son for the praise of his glory, and that therefore they were to live 
for the praise of his glory. Or if I could change that to the language of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is the heartbeat of Reformed theology. And that is something that is so desperately needed in our own time. Uh, to, To have high views of God and to realize that the most important thing in this world is God and his glory and to be determined to live for his glory. And by the way, that means that worship is very important. I was talking with with Nathan before the service tonight. He was asking me questions about what did I see in terms of attitudes in young people uh, that I meet in various places. Do they understand the connection between our theology and our worship? That's something that's very strong here at Christ's Covenant. Uh, Kevin and Nathan want you to believe the truth of the word, and they want the worship that is done as we gather on the Lord's Day here at Christ Covenant Church to reinforce the truth of that word, to express the truth of God back in praise to him, but also to form us as we worship. Worship is meant to form us, and we're to glorify God in all of life, and we're to glorify God together when we gather on the Lord's Day to worship him. And God is doing things to us even as we give him praise. Um, He's teaching us that he is the most important thing in this world. Um, I had some friends in Yazoo City, Mississippi. There really is a place called Yazoo City, Mississippi, who had been studying with their pastor on the theme of the sovereignty and goodness of God. And they had, in the course of that study come across the phrase in the Psalms, it's said in slightly different ways in various places, the Lord is good in all he does. And that was one of the themes of that series about God's sovereignty. And then a tragedy happened, a terrible tragedy happened. The pastor and his family were were in an automobile accident and the pastor and his youngest child were killed in the automobile accident. And his wife and his two other children who were also in the car were sent to three different hospitals um, in the wake of the accident. It was two days before the pastor's wife regained consciousness, and they waited a while before they told her that Mike and Nate were dead. And when they finally told Diane, um, you know, she said, where's Mike? Where's Nate? Where's Preston? Where's Catherine? Finally, when they told Diane, Diane, your husband, Mike, has gone home to be with the Lord, and Nate, your, your youngest child, has died as well. Um, Diane said, you know, through tears, the Lord is good in all he does. Um, you know, and I, I, I remember being around Diane and feeling like, boy, I'm, I'm around Job. I mean, it's, 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 it was like she said, the Lord gave, the Lord take, takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But, the, you know, there, there's, there's a person, there's a family that believes that God's glory is more important than everything and that God is good in everything that he does, that he can be trusted no matter what happens in life. That is so needed today. It's needed for you and me in life right now. It's needed in the world. And so many other churches are not teaching that. And so is reform still relevant? You better believe we need that kind of big God theology taught 
in the churches because it's biblical. It's just, it comes right out of Paul and it comes right out of Jesus. What I'm really going to do tomorrow morning and tomorrow evening is just look at passages in Jesus' teaching about the gospel where he teaches the sovereignty of God and then a passage about Jesus and his death where he explains and, and demonstrates the sovereignty of God. We really need that kind of high view of God today because we live in a world where human beings are big and God is small. What we think, our opinions are important and, and what, what God says in his word is not. And we, we, we live in a day where there needs to be a faithful biblical proclamation of a big God. And I see that big God theology growing all over the world. And it's no wonder, right? In, in, in this kind of a world, with, with, with the kind of antagonism towards historic Christianity that exists, it's only a robust biblical assertion of the truth of the big, sovereign, triune God with whom we um, have to do that can answer the kind of objections and criticisms that the world brings against the church. It's no, it's no wonder that Christians in uh, persecuted parts of the church have such high views of God. How do you survive if you don't have a high view of God in those kinds of settings? And Reformed theology has that to commend to the churches. Is reform still relevant? You better believe it is, especially because we care about God, his glory, his sovereignty, his sovereignty in salvation, his sovereignty in the Christian life, his sovereignty in the church, his sovereignty in the world. I, I heard R.C. Sproul speak at a conference a number of years ago, and he said, um, he started, R.C. loves to to put two things together that sound like they're contradictions and then explain them, if you've, if you've heard some of his talks before. And he started off by saying, the Protestant doctrine of God uh, does, does, not, uh, does not vary from the classical formulation of the doctrine of God in Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy. But the Protestant doctrine of God is the most unique thing about the Protestant theological system. You know, he said, well, hold on, how do, how do you put those two things together, R.C.? And he said, here's how. Because Protestants have said, we want to make sure that we work out the doctrine of God in relation to all the other topics of theology. So that all the other topics of theology are seen in light of the sovereignty of the God, of the triune God who is. And, and that's, that's very true. That is exactly what Reformed theology wants to do, and that's what the world needs today. But we also need a church that is very, very clear on its missionary enterprise. And so I want to take you back, interestingly, not to Matthew 28, but to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Because when Jesus says in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, all he is actually doing is he is articulating something that God had made very clear in the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Genesis 12, verse 3. Here's what he says. I will bless those who bless you. This is God speaking to Abram. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, do you understand when Jesus says to his disciples, 
go make disciples from all nations, all he is doing is saying, disciples, it's about time that we get to work fulfilling Genesis 12, 3. Because God had promised to Abram that in him all the families of the earth will be blessed. And I have fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant and therefore go make disciples of all the nations because in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed, Jesus. Jesus, as Paul will say in Galatians, is the seed of Abraham. So that also is a part of the heartbeat of Reformed theology. It's, it's, it's a missionary theology. We, we want to evangelize. We were talking with the interns this morning, and, and uh, Kevin was complimenting some of our British Reformed brothers for how strong they are on evangelism. And he said this, they know they have to do evangelism because the culture is so opposed to Christian uh, faith, and, and there's such little nominal Christianity left that if you don't go out and aggressively evangelize, you're not going to have any members in your churches. But Reformed theology has always had a great, deep desire to evangelize and to go to the ends of the earth and share the gospel. A lot of people don't realize that the modern missionary movement was in large measure moved ahead by people with big God theology, Reformed theology, uh, Baptists, Anglicans, Presbyterians, uh, others uh, who had a high view of God, a high view of Scripture, a high view of God's grace, and that's what impelled them to the mission field. Because God is sovereign, because God had made the promises that he did to Abraham, they wanted to go to the nations to share the truth of the gospel. And that is just as important, just as as relevant as it ever was um, in our own day. So I, I want tonight to say to you, in answer to the question, is reform still relevant? Yes, absolutely, more than ever. Why? Because it is still true that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And it's still true that to God be the glory, great things he has done. And it's still true that um, the Lord, uh, you know, in, 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 in the words of the song, uh, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him Lord of all. The word of God, the glory of God, the mission of God, faithful to the scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, obedient to the Great Commission, living life according to the truth and the teaching of the Word of God, uh, heralding the glorious, sovereign God of the Scriptures, calling men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to rest and trust on Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. Is that relevant? You better believe it is. Because it's biblical. It just, it's out of the Bible. And if this is God's word, and it is, then it doesn't matter what the world thinks of it. The world can think, well, that, I don't care what, what the Bible says. The Bible's not true. Well, the Bible is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. It doesn't matter what the skeptic thinks about the Bible. The Bible's still God's word, and it will work. And, and therefore, we have, a, we have a mission and we have a message as Reformed Christians. And I hope that in our time together, 
tonight and tomorrow, I can give you some encouragement uh, in your witness and in your life as, as we uh, express that the Reformed faith is still relevant for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word. We pray that you would bless the preaching tomorrow as we think about your sovereignty. We pray you'd bless our Q&A time tonight, that that would be mutually encouraging and God-glorifying and Christ-exalting and edifying to everybody who's here. Thank you for these brothers and sisters taking time out on a Saturday night to come out and think about you and think about what you've called the church to believe and to do. We pray that we would be found faithful, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.